Can you lift it up and draw closer to you to singing praises and to preach the spot where they listen with attentive hearts and minds seek. And thank you. Maybe see unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary, we'd like to recognize you. All right. house today and to have each one of you here with us. I want to start by saying uh, thank you uh, church for coming out to uh, those that were able to be here Thursday night to be a blessing to the Gilson family. I uh, appreciate uh, your willingness to just encourage them and, and walk with them through that dark time. Continue to pray for them. Uh, you know in the days and weeks ahead is when it really starts to become real and so if you would continue to pray for them and i've had some ask and yes we will be doing a gilson christmas uh in december and when we get closer to december we'll get that announced but i uh, want to be a blessing and encouragement to them and i know uh the food and um, those that came those who spent time with them uh, last sunday really been an encouragement to them so thank you for that investment uh as they go through this difficulty from our bullet oh by the way uh, another thing not in the bulletin I wanted to say was thank you for work day. We had a good work day yesterday and uh, a lot of guys showed up and uh, took on different little projects that need to be done and probably nothing that stands out and you know just put a finger on but a lot of a lot of projects that needed to be done and so I want to thank those guys that took of their time uh, and came out uh, to help uh, with the things around the church that need to be done so thank you for that uh, there will be a senior saint uh, luncheon for thanksgiving uh, coming up tomorrow at 11 30 and so i'd encourage you to be here if you have any questions about that you can visit with miss alice uh, she's uh, kind of heading that up uh, there's a sign up sheet in the foyer but if you have any questions otherwise we'll see you at 11 30 tomorrow uh, ladies thanksgiving they're really going they're really getting the mileage out of this thanksgiving <laughs> Um, because that will be on Saturday. And uh, so 5.30, ladies, uh, here at the church, sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, ladies always have a great time at uh, this event. Uh, Mrs. Coon's going to be speaking, uh, and so I encourage you to come and be a part of that. And then Sunday, uh, we will have Brother Martin Coon, who now pastors Heritage Baptist Church in Wichita, He's going to be our speaker and appreciate Brother Kuhn, his friendship all these years, and looking forward to having him. And then uh, Lord's Supper will be coming up November 21st, and so at 7 o'clock, uh, all the church members encouraged to be here for that. There will not be a Wednesday evening service. As a matter of fact, offices will be closed uh, from Wednesday through Saturday, give uh, staff a little bit of time. Uh, to be able to go be with family uh, and if they have a need feel free to get hold of me on my cell phone um, we'll still be in town uh, guest preacher um, on November 26th I'm really excited <coughs> about having brother Carter come and be with us I watched brother Carter grow up and uh, to be honest with you I never thought that 
he would become what he has. He just, you know, you look at some kids and you're like, yeah, I'm just glad he's alive, you know? He just, uh, but he's become very in, uh, a very good um, counselor. And uh, he came to camp this last year and did three sessions on gender identity. And Miss um, Terry was there and she's just scribbling notes all over the place. And uh, we were visiting afterwards. I said, I think that he, that would be good for our church to hear. And he goes, oh yeah. And she said, oh yeah, preacher, that'd be good for our church. So he's gonna come in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. He's gonna be dealing with gender identity. Uh, I think it'll be very beneficial and encourage you to come and uh, plan to be here. Uh, during that time, be a real blessing to you. Uh, Christmas missions offering December the third, and uh, we're looking forward uh, to being able to raise uh, special funds to be a blessing to our missionaries, the ones sent from our church. And uh, so that's where uh, this fund goes. It'll be divided among missionaries uh, sent by us, and so I encourage you to be planning towards giving to that, and uh, we can be a blessing that way. Uh, to our missionaries. Then from our prayer needs here, ask that you continue to pray for all these uh, that are listed and uh, continue to lift them up before the Lord. Uh, God would just have his will done in their lives. And it's good to be together today and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us uh, in the teaching and preaching time today. Uh, Lord bless you for being here, Brother Foster. If you'd And sing in hymn number 223. We'll sing the first and the last verses of Springs of the Water. My class, we're in lesson number four once again. Need a handout? We have a few more available. Raise your hand, we'll get those to you. If Brother Potts comes in with those, just a moment. While you're waiting on those, you can be turning in your Bibles to Esther chapter number three. Esther chapter number three.
anyone that needs a handout, put those in here. All right, here they come. All right, raise your hand, and they'll get those to you. All right, while they're doing that, I'll go ahead and get started here uh, reading the portion of Scripture. Esther chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadathai the Agagite, and advanced him, and set his seat above all the princes that were with him, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is, the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, the lot before Haman, from day to day and from month to month, the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadathai, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people, of every province, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. So we see here in the in this lesson, we're uh, studying the promotion then of Haman and then the effects of that. And, and we see Mordecai standing uh, against the king's decree to bow down and give reverence to Haman. Uh, so there's several things that we need to be mindful of as we go through this lesson. We got into it a little bit last week and uh, we understood the positioning of the power and how Haman came about and how he is now in this prominent position appointed by King Ahasuerus to, to oversee uh, the provinces and to... Uh, and then we looked a little bit at Haman's background. We understand that his ancestry, they are the enemies of the Jews, and they sought to destroy the Jews on several occasions. And we know that King Saul was supposed to, to destroy the Agagites, but he did not. Uh, he did not uh, do so according to God's command. And now uh, the Jews are paying the price for it. And we're seeing that uh, they're still under attack by these people. And Haman is a, is a descendant of these people. And he's going about uh, fulfilling a plan that's long been in place by the Agagites to destroy then the Jews. And that brings us uh, to this place where Haman is promoted and he 
Mordecai doesn't bow, so now he's angry with Mordecai. Uh, but he's, uh, he extends that anger to more than just Mordecai. He extends it to all of the Jews. He includes all of them uh, in this, uh, what he's going to then pronounce upon uh, the Jews, that they would be killed. So we, the refusal to bow is where we left off. And his declaration is that he will not bow to, to Haman. He will only hearken unto the Lord and seek to do the Lord's will. So that brings us to this place now uh, where the plot of Haman. What is the plot? So we've read it here in our portion of Scripture, but let's dig into it and see what is behind this, what is going to take place, and, and what uh, Haman seeks to do uh, to the Jews. So he's furious at Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow. Everyone else in the kingdom's bowing, and they're bidding reverence to Haman. But Mordecai, thankfully, he stands against it. And he determines that he's only going to worship the Lord his God, and he's not going to bow to a man. He's not going to bow to something that is wrong, something that is against the Word of God. And might I add that we ought not to do the same in our life, that we, we should uh, be willing to stand for the truth of the Word of God. We ought to be willing to go against those that would oppose us uh, according to the truth of the Word of God. So this vengeance is on, on Mordecai here that we see. He's seeking vengeance on him. Uh, but this would not be enough in the mind of Haman. He was so angry that uh, because Mordecai was a Jew, he wanted to extend this wrath then to all of the Jews, to eradicate the Jews altogether. And we saw that in verses 5 and 6 of our text. So he, sought, he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that th were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus even the people of Mordecai. So here we see that Haman's hatred for Mordecai soon developed into a hatred for the whole Jewish race. And Haman could have reported Mordecai's crimes to the king. The king would have imprisoned him and dealt with him accordingly. Mordecai uh, and dealt with him or had him executed. Don't know what the punishment would have been if he had taken it to the king. But that would not have satisfied Haman's lust for revenge. And we've we can see that through history, and uh, you know, when someone is angry, there's uh, just no naming what they would be willing to do to, to seek revenge or uh, carry out wrath upon that person. So this is the plot of Haman here. So he, he gives a proposal. He has to bring this uh, before the king. So Haman wasted no time in plotting the Jews' destruction. So Haman cast pure or lots, to decide what month to kill the Jews. In verse 7, in the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth month, or twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is, the lot, before Haman, from day to day, and from month to month, and to the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar. So we see that term casting lots quite a bit in the Bible. Casting lots was actually means that even Israel, believing in God's sovereignty, not luck, used to seek direction from the Lord. In Leviticus 16.8, it says, And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. But Haman wasn't using lots in the same way as the Israelites. So, you know, God overruled in his superstitious casting of, of lots to extend the date to almost a year away. And Haman may have thought that he had this whole situation under his control, but he didn't realize that God was working behind the scenes, that God had a plan, and we know that God certainly did. So he was mistaken. And as Haman approached the king, 
uh, he approached the king in a deceitful manner. And in a deceitful manner, and he says this in verse number eight of our text. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, "There is a certain people." So he's taking this uh, from uh, you know Mordecai's position of not bowing to him. Now he's going to cast this abroad upon all the people. So there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Now understand the positioning here uh, and how Haman approaches him. Now we understood in the previous lesson uh, there was a plot against the king to kill him. Uh, so the king is on high alert to any disruption or any disturbance within his kingdom, any uprising that may take place. So Haman understands this and he positions his plea in such a way that he's going to get the king's ear. He's going to perk up when he hears uh, that there's a, there's a people scattered abroad in his kingdom that have laws that do not, they're against your laws, they're diverse. They're not of thy kingdom. They're not of the king's laws. So he's saying that you need to deal with this. It's not profitable for you to keep them in your provinces. You need to deal with them. So without naming the Jews, Haman convinced the king that the people Haman had in mind did not follow the laws of the Persian Empire. And he collared this people as a rebellious group who could be a threat to the Persian power. Sounds a little familiar today with what's going on uh, in the realm of Christianity, doesn't it? Uh, how many would call us the enemy, if you will, or the radicals, if you will, because we stand firm on the Word of God and what God says. Because uh, to them, you know, they want to do that which is right in their own eyes, but we stand firm on what God says is right. And we hold true to that. And people would look down upon that in our society today. So we need to stand as Mordecai did. So in addition to misrepresenting the Jews, Haman used bribery to get his way. So it wasn't enough that he would bring this deceitful plea to him uh, to try to get the king's attention and get his, the king's uh, approval on his plan. In verse 9, he, he goes about uh, with bribery. It says, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. I will pay thee 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into king into the king's treasuries. So he's backing up this plea now. He's going to give him a great sum of money. So Haman knew that Ahasuerus was easily persuaded by the by the purse or by this uh, this gift of silver. The king could not refuse this offer. John Butler says this about uh, this these 10,000 talents, it says they estimate this amount of silver as being close to $4 billion in our money today. It was 375 tons of silver. Herodotus, an ancient historian, said that this amount of money was two-thirds of the entire revenue of the Persian government. Now, do you think this got the king's attention? Certainly did. Certainly did. And it got his attention, and, he, and we see what he did as a result here. So when Haman wanted something, he was willing to pay a great high price for it to get it done. So you can understand here the, the wrath that he has, uh, that he's willing to pay this high price to, to seek revenge. So this is Haman's proposal to eradicate these people. So now we see this is brought before the king. The petition is laid at his feet. Now the king's decision. 
So King Ahasuerus, blinded by his love for money, the king not only granted Haman his proposal, but what else does he do? He gave Haman his ring. And this, is the, this ring signifies authority. So now Haman has the ring, which gives him the authority to carry out this plan. Let's look at 10 and 11 once again of our text. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadathai, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. So we know the law of the Medes and the Persians was this, that once a, a law was signed by the king, it could not be altered or rescinded. It was just in stone. It was there. It was be carried out. This was known as the law of the Medes and the Persians. And we see this back in the book of Daniel as well. In verse, uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, uh, we see that King Darius of the Babylonian Empire was persuaded to institute a law against uh, those that would be praying to, a, to their God. And he said that required no prayers to be made to anyone but him. So he wanted all prayers to be made to him, the king. So he also used his ring to seal that law, making it irrevocable. But in Daniel's case, what did God do? God thwarted the plans of his enemies by closing the mouths of the lions. And when Daniel was thrown to them, we see that uh, he, was a, he was able to dwell among those lions, and the lions did not attack, and God took care of the situation. In Esther's case, we see God uses another method. Haman saw the king's permission as a major victory. You can imagine now, the authority is being passed to him. He's got this ring on his hand now, on his finger, and he can go about carrying out his vengeful plan. But as he accepted the ring, he actually sealed his own doom. No king, potentate, nation, or confederation of nations can attack Israel without suffering the consequences. And Hamas needs to understand that today as well. They're going to suffer the consequences for attacking God's people. God promised to bless those that bless Israel and curse them that curse Israel. In Genesis 12, 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So to Haman's own detriment, he became one who cursed Israel, and it would bring him down. Meanwhile, the king brought in his scribes to record the law and messengers to proclaim it throughout the kingdom. So let's continue reading in our text here. Uh, Begin once again in verse number 12. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month. And there was written according to all that Haman had commanded of the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof. And to every people after their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey." The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. So according to the king's decree here, on the 13th day of the month of Adar, all of the Jews in the entire empire were to be killed. What a day of slaughter that would have been. 
Once the decree was signed by the king, it was copied by the scribes and sent with couriers throughout all 127 provinces. So we can only imagine the sheer terror that these Jews must have felt receiving this decree, knowing that the day that you're going to die has been appointed. Uh, the king has made the decree. You will die this day. Little did they know that what appeared to be Israel's demise was actually God's plan to finish his utter destruction of the Amalekites. So we see Haman's proposal, the king's decision to grant him the authority to carry out his plan. Now we see the confusion among the city. So we don't have a record of how everyone responded throughout the Persian Empire. Uh, but in Shushan itself, we see the city descend into confusion. Verse 15 goes on to say this, the post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Sushan, the palace. And the king and, and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. So Ahasuerus and Haman, they celebrated the decree. They were happy about what they'd put in place. See, they're drinking again, perhaps becoming drunk. They seem to view this decree as an accomplishment, and the king was glad that his finances were restored. Remember, he had spent much money to go up against the Greeks, and he failed in that attempt, and he spent much of his wealth to do so. So he's, he's got money back in his coffers, and, he's, and that's been restored. And, and Haman was elated that his plan had worked, so he thought, to annihilate the Jews. So Ahasuerus and Haman uh, were like modern politicians who allow themselves to be wined and dined by donors while they remain completely detached from what is truly going on, the people that they are supposed to be serving. And Proverbs warns us about this. It says in Proverbs 29, 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. It goes on to say in chapter 28, verse 28 of Proverbs, When the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. So, while King Ahasuerus and Haman were celebrating, the city was perplexed. They're filled with uncertainty. They don't know what's going on. Why has this decree been made? And what's going to happen if the, they make this decree upon the Jews? Maybe they can make this decree upon my people. Uh, we just don't know. We don't understand what's going on. So what is the purpose of this decree? Why do they need to annihilate the Jews? John Butler says this about the situation. While the king... And Haman drank, the city was distressed. And after all, if one race of people can be wiped out by a decree of a king, what about in other races? Governments that are evil do not produce tranquility to their people. Rather, they produce troubling hearts and minds. So Haman thought he had won. He had gotten what he wanted. The people were in chaos, but God had a plan to save his people. All along, God had a plan. So the positioning of power, the plot of Haman, and I'm thankful for a plan for salvation. A plan for salvation. No doubt when the Jews saw the proclamation, their hearts were grieved. You can imagine. Uh, you understand when something is signed by the king that it can't be changed, so you're wondering, is this, is, am I going to die on this day? Is this my doom? So they were grieved, but God was not wringing his hands. God knew all along what he was going to do. He was not surprised. He was not perplexed. Remember that God is sovereign. Notice from our text Mordecai's response when he heard the decree. 
Let's look at Mordecai's grief. To say this was a time of intense sorrow for Mordecai would be an understatement. Notice what it says here. Now, if you'd go to chapter number 4, continue this story. We see Mordecai's mourning. Immediately after hearing the decree was signed, Mordecai went into mourning. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 says this. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So putting on sackcloth and ashes, we see that commonly in the Old Testament. It was a practice of this day to express grief. Mordecai was neither afraid nor ashamed to let his people know where he stood. He had already told the officers at the gate that he was a Jew, now clothed in his mourning apparel, uh, Mordecai cried a loud and bitter cry. So Mordecai's mourning. Not only Mordecai mourning, but the Jews of the empire are mourning. So this was a collective time of grief for all the Jews in the Persian empire. We see that in verse 3 of chapter 4. So in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So everywhere the decree went, the Jews responded with mourning and fasting and wailing. So this was a serious decree. This was a serious, unalterable decree that spelled out their genocide. You can imagine the grief, sorrow, the torment of what's about to take place. Next we see Mordecai's communication. Fortunately, Mordecai didn't lose hope in God. In the midst of his grief, where did he turn? He turned to the Lord. He believed that God could save them from this destruction, and he had an idea about whom he should contact. Apparently, Esther was unaware of the decree when she learned that Mordecai was grieving in sackcloth and ashes in the streets, and she was extremely grieved. Continue reading here in verse 4 and 5. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not, then called Esther for Atash, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So this orphan girl, now queen of the Persian Empire, no doubt wanted to speak with her adoptive father, her cousin Mordecai. However, since Mordecai was in sackcloth and ashes, he would not be permitted to enter the palace. So Esther tried sending him clothes, but he refused them. So this is Mordecai's reply, verses 6 through 9. So Tosh went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Sushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king, to make supplication unto him, and to make a request before him for her people. And Hatash came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. So Mordecai explained to this messenger everything that had happened, the decree and what it declared upon the Jews, 
so he told him about the money Haman had paid the king to destroy the Jews, and he sent a copy of the decree to Esther. And with this decree, Mordecai also sent a challenge for Esther. And that challenge was that she would petition the king, go before him, and make supplication for her people. So when Esther heard the message, she responded through a touch uh, that it was out of the question for her to go into the king unless she was called for. So the king had to beckon people to come before him. So let's continue reading, verse 10 through 12. Again, Esther spake to Hattosh and gave him commandment to go unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces. Do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom with the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. So even though Esther was the queen, appearing before the king was no simple matter. Anyone, including the queen herself, had to be summoned to walk into his presence, and the punishment for appearing uncalled would be that of death. So for Esther to plead before her people, she would be risking her life. So who could blame Esther for hesitating about uh, this petition that Mordecai has made. The same king who had removed the previous queen because she refused to parade herself in front of the drunken men, this was the same king who made a rash decree to begin with, and after not, after not being called for 30 days, Esther was probably beginning to wonder if the king had lost interest in her. The thought of approaching him to ask him to reconsider the decree was undoubtedly terrifying. So this Mordecai is going through this time of grief, and he, he sees he's, uh, we see that he's petitioning Esther to make supplication for the Jews. Next we see Mordecai's understanding. He understood Esther's predicament, but in his reply we see that he reminds her of three issues. Let's continue reading in verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. You had to remember she was a Jew as well. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The first, Esther living in the palace was not a guarantee that she would be exempt from this execution. The decree had said for all the Jews to be killed. Second, if she kept her silence, then God would bring deliverance from another place in the kingdom. Believing the promises of God, Mordecai probably recalled that God had already promised he couldn't possibly be annihilated. God made a promise for the Jews. However, Esther still had no guarantee that she and her household would be spared from this destruction. Then finally, Mordecai told Esther that perhaps this was the whole reason she was in the palace for such a time as this. This was the moment. You need to understand that God is in control. God understands, he, under, he sees, He knows everything. And He can orchestrate our life better than no one else. And we just simply need to trust Him and have faith in Him. God and His sovereignty can use anything or anyone He wants to accomplish His will. And I'm sure that there are testimonies that we can give where we can see God's providence and His, His leading hand in our lives and how He's protected us from things. 
And there's a story about Queen Victoria of England. Uh, she was once on a British Express train in the middle of the night. And on this dark night, the engineer suddenly saw something in the middle of the train track that looked almost like a phantom. This, of course, caused the engineer to stop the train. And when the crewmen stepped outside to find their phantom, they did not immediately see him. But what they saw instead was far more frightening. As they stared into the fog, they realized that a bridge had collapsed and fallen into the water. The entire train had almost sunk. What was the phantom? It was merely a moth. But to Queen Victoria, that moth was the agent sent by God. She believed that the moth was sent by God for such a time as that to protect them. God can use anything, anywhere, at any time, on behalf of us to perform His will and His plan. So it seems that Mordecai was beginning to perceive the plan of God as it was unfolding. You know, he had the question, why was Queen Esther taken? And why is she then promoted to queen? So as a man who is following the Lord, and he understands uh, God's decree, which will stand the test of time, God's decree is that He will protect the Jews, that He will protect the nation of Israel. So Mordecai understands this. Now a decree is, is coming that the Jews are going to be annihilated. Uh, so he's beginning to see God's plan here and possibly see how God's going to work. So let's turn our attention now to Esther's faith. Esther has to make a decision. Mordecai's laid out three things that she needs to consider. So when Esther heard Mordecai's message, she knew that she needed to, what she needed to do. But she wasn't going to be able to do this in her own strength. She needed the help of the Lord. She needed faith to follow God. So let's begin uh, again in verse 15. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Sushan and fast ye for me. She wanted God's power and presence in her life, and she petitioned the Jews that they would fast for her. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So Esther, she showed faith in two ways. First, a faith to fast. Before Esther would appear before the king, she believed it was necessary to take time to fast. And she requested all the Jews do the same there in Sushan. At the consummation of the three-day fast, she planned to go into the court of the king. Though God is still not mentioned in the book of Esther, by name, it seems evident that Esther's fast was an expression of her humility toward God and her dependence and reliance upon Him. So her decision to approach the king required faith and courage, for she didn't know her future outcome. She had a faith to fast, but she also had a faith to die. A faith to die. That's great faith. A faith to die. After committing to fast, Esther further committed, So will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish... I perish. This was not a fatalistic statement of defeat. Rather, it was an expression of faith from a woman who committed to step into a need that she saw was greater than her own life. A need that was greater than her own life. She knew that she would either see God's miraculous deliverance or she would perish trying. Bible translator William Tyndall had a similar faith and courage. After his English translation of the Bible spread throughout England, King Henry VIII, Sir Thomas More, and Bishop John Stokesley all wanted him dead. 
William Tyndall was eventually betrayed by a supposed friend and sentenced to be burned at the stake. As he was dying, his final prayer was this, Father, open the eyes of the king. You know the result of that prayer? The Bible you hold in your hands today, King James Bible. What great faith. It's the faith that God calls us to. Sometimes the cost of obedience is our lives. Esther didn't know whether she would live or die. However, she did know that the Lord wanted to ob- her to obey Him regardless of the outcome. So we've come through uh, this portion of chapter 3 and, and parts of chapter 4. Still, God is not mentioned by name. And although He's never mentioned in the book of Esther, it is evident that God is all over the events that are taking place. And it's evident that at this moment He has His servant Esther positioned in exactly the right place, prepared to launch out in faith. So how does this relate to us? Well, we too are called to live a life of faith. The Christian life is designed to be lived by faith and not by sight. How many times throughout the week are we driven by sight? We make decisions upon what we can see rather than relying on God, trusting His vision for our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says this, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Esther, and she didn't try to do God's job for him. She didn't try to work every aspect of the situation out, come up up with a three-point outline for a plan that she would carry out. But her faith in her God gave her the purpose to act within her power, whatever the outcome may be. She purposed to follow the Lord and allow the Lord to do what He desired to do. So we too often find ourselves in situations that we cannot understand. We don't know the outcome. We don't know how God's going to work it out. And God has not given us the burden of figuring out how things will to pass boy we need to remember that god has not given us that burden he's taken that burden he's got it figured out already he just wants us to obey and when we commit our works and circumstances to god he establishes our ways for us proverbs 16 1 the preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the lord All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. We all face many situations in our life that burden us. Maybe we find ourselves fretting about what may happen, what will be. Whatever the source of your greatest anxieties, know this, that God's got this. He has the power to provide whatever is needed to fulfill His will. So don't give yourself the unnecessary burden of trying to figure it all out. Know this, that He'll work things out. Like Esther, draw nigh to Him, obey Him, and watch Him work. We must remember that He loves us. He loves us and He wants to work His best through us. His plans are for your good, even if they cost you everything. That's hard for us to understand, but we know it to be true. That He is always working for good. 
always working for good. We need to drill that into our mind. In my life, he is always working for good. You can trust your, God, your good God with whatever this is. Esther was willing to give her life to save her people. Jesus Christ did the same in giving his life to save you and me. You can trust him with your salvation. You can trust him with your this. Whatever it is in your life, you can trust him. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the good God that you are. Father, so good to us. We don't deserve it. I'm thankful that you express your love towards us and you seek to do good in our lives. I pray that we would understand that truth, that we would obey the truths of your word. We would follow you, just allow you to guide our steps, understanding you know what's best for us. Father, as we look to the story of Esther and see what you've done there, miraculous way delivering the Jews, Father, I just pray that we would draw strength and comfort and Increase our faith because of it. Father, encourage us during the times that we live to be courageous for the Lord. Father, to walk by faith, not by sight. Father, I pray now for the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030.